you and I have become joint heirs with Christ. And everything that is his is ours. So, if he stands and everything is under his feet, then it's also under... Come on now. God made us the head and not the tail. We need to learn how to take dominion over what is ours. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I said we need to learn how to take dominion over what belongs to me. I don't pray for what belongs to me. I don't pray for victory. Now, you can go ahead and waste your time. I don't do it. That's like begging somebody for the keys to my car. You got my keys and they're my car. I'm going to run up on you. Because they, they're mine. I'm not asking you for what's yours. These are mine. So I'm going to run up on you, jump right up in your face. I'm going to climb up on you like a stepladder until you give me my keys back. So why do we waste time talking about, please give me victory? when it's already yours. We need to possess it. Come on, somebody. Why do we pray for power? It's already ours. Ye shall receive power. You've already received it. Why don't you take authority now and dominion and possess what God has already given you? Oh, Lord. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 22. Thank you, co-host, Brother Elliot and Brother Potowski, for allowing us to be at Winter Fire and the district officials that are here, superintendents and presbyters and all the digni dignified people, of which I am not one. It's good to share the pulpit with such prolific personalities of which I am not one. I feel like a Alabama mule in a Kentucky Derby. I know I'm not going to win, but it's just good to be in the race. This is chapter 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into a land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham left up his eyes and saw the place still afar off. <clears throat> I put the word still in there. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as is set to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. I want to talk to you just for a little while on this subject, one step beyond sacrifice. One step beyond sacrifice. Uh, how many is going to help me preach just for a little while? Amen. You may be seated. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech the king for ransom for his wife, of course, and then set out from Egypt. And now <coughs> they made a covenant at a place called Bashir. Bathsheba, and there was a covenant of peace between those two men. And Abraham planted a grove there, and there he called on the name, the Bible said, of the everlasting God. And it came to pass after that, after he finally got all his Egyptian business taken care of. And we're going to go forward in God. We must get all our worldly stuff done with. I know it's early, so I'm going to just take my time. Most of y'all not awake yet. You see, Abraham started. And there he was in Ur of the Chaldeans, and God called him out to the land of Canaan. I mean, the first call. They only made it to Haran, which is about halfway distance. It's dangerous to live in a halfway place when you're trying to follow after God. At some point, we've got to make up our mind, I'm going all the way. <clears throat> At some point, we have to sever ties with those things that are going to bind us and keep us from fulfilling the will of God in our life. No matter how comfortable we've come in our setting, God always messes with us in the place that we love the most. Not too many amens in the house yet. And so after this covenant, he has all this stuff taken care of. He's finally come to the place where he's finally making up his mind what he should do. And, you know, he's got Hagar taken care of and Ishmael taken care of. Now he's really embodied in the will of God in his life. And Isaac is growing up. He's transferred his love from Ishmael to Isaac because he really did love Ishmael. And he wanted Ishmael to be the promised child. But God says it's not going to happen that way. And so now he's finally got all this love that he had for the estranged woman and for the child not of promise. And now he's finally getting his whole household together. He's finally becoming the man that God wants. So he's finally, he's finally arriving and God says, okay, good. Now I've got one more thing I need you to do. I, I want, you know, God will always wait till we get to the top of our game. Isn't it funny that God just waits until you, you know, until you're making as much money as you can make to call you to some home mission thing? Well, you know you ain't going to make nothing. I guess nobody had experienced that. And so now God is saying, I want you to, to leave this comfortable environment again. Because God is always calling us from our comfort zones. And he says, now, there's a mountain that I'm going to tell you about in a few days, but I want you to go there, and I want you to offer your son up to me as a burnt offering. 
Friend, uh, let me just make some statements and then I'm preach to you for a little bit. I don't feel well today, so I'm not at the top of my game, but we'll preach a little bit here if I can. <clears throat> Listen, to follow the will of God is not always comfortable. To try to do what God wants you to do sometimes is confrontational, confusing, frustrating, but it is always still the very best thing to do. God does not always give us every detail of his plan, but he will give us direction. And even when I don't know every detail how God's going to take care of everything, if I follow his direction, I will get to where I'm supposed to go. Abraham begins his journey not knowing where he's going. He still doesn't know where he's going. He thinks he is there, but he's not. He's got another mountain to cross. Not too many people are going to help me today. I said, you still may have one mountain to cross before you get to the place where God really wants you to be. I think we have did ourselves a disservice by getting satisfied in the halfway place. And it's not time to be satisfied because your church building is full. Knock the walls out. Make a big... It is not satisfied. It's not time to be satisfied because your bus route is full. Not time to be satisfied because you finally got the church note paid off. Not time to be satisfied because you prayed through 10 in the last revival. It's time to go to the next mountain to get to the next level. It's time to say, God, now where is it? And then he goes. Trying to follow God is a tricky thing. Because he, he only knows where he's going. And, and he gives le the least details of any directional place that a person that I know. I mean, I can find better directions on MapQuest. Because it tells me every juncture and every turn and even how many miles I've got to. But God doesn't do that. God just said, go on down there. He's like, folks give you directions in the south. Go down by the big tree, hang a left. There's a red trash can. You can't miss it. But he doesn't tell you about all the mess in the middle of that. Y'all not going to help me preach this morning. Go ahead, Joseph. I've got a place for you to sit. Go on down, you're going to be all right. Go on down, and you got 11 stars bowed down before you. you got all this stuff happening, and he's going down. He said, oh, yeah, but God, he just kind of omitted the pit. He told him where he was, and he told him where he would be, but he kind of forgot all the mess in the middle. That's what we've got to do, honey. You've got to negotiate all the mess in the middle from your promise to your power, from your calling to your sending, from where you are to where you want to be. There's a mess in the middle that we've got to manage and negotiate. So here's Abraham managing the mess. Negotiating. 
And it, it doesn't say, but it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that uh, Abraham did not tell his wife. Oh, you think he did? Now, he may be a liar, but he ain't stupid. Sarah thought him and the boy was going on a hunting trip. Had to be. Thought he was going on a camping trip or a hunting trip with the boy. Go show him, you know, how to hunt and fish like he did with Ishmael. Oh, this is a good thing. Male bonding. That's what Sarah was thinking. That's her only baby. That's the only one she's been able to have and can't have another. Do you think if Abraham said, honey, I heard from the Lord? You see, we look at the Bible, we think it's real easy. You need to put yourself in Abraham's place. It wasn't an easy deal to... Oh, you're not helping me today. It's all right. But I'm telling you, I know, you know, I know Sarah. Sarah at 88 was still a honey cup. Because the king was still checking her out. goes like, you know, man, I'd sure like to hit that dog. Come on, read your Bible. I, I know it's probably not in yours because I have a different Bible than you. Oh, yeah, I have the hip-hop home bar version of the King James. See, Abraham was lying and said, that's my sister. He said, man, I should like to, you know, I should like to check your sister out, man. She's still like, whoa, she's a honeycomb, dog. What's up with that? So, you know, so Sarah's still looking fine, but lets me know she's got a little bit of the sister in her. You know, because, you know, because we don't, since we don't go out and tan and all that stuff, you know, I don't need a tan, you know, so. So we're subject to less wrinkles, you know what I'm saying, you know. So I know she had a little bit of the sister in her, you know. So I'm, I'm thinking if Abraham would have went and told her, she would have went ghetto on him. Oh, come on, ladies, you know I'm telling the truth. You going to do what? To my baby? I don't think so. You're not hearing what I'm preaching. You going to take my child where and do what? Uh-uh-uh, not up in here, you ain't. That sometimes you can't tell everybody what God's doing in your world. That sometimes you cannot articulate the will of God. You just gotta follow what you, oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. You just gotta walk the pathway. Sometimes you're walking all by yourself. Sometimes your wife don't understand. Your daddy don't understand. But if you're following the will of God, you're in the right direction. Somebody shout amen. And he has traveled three days and he is still yet a long ways away, according to verse 4. Still afar off. And in my mind, I want to know what is going on in the mind of Abraham. I'm sorry. I have, a, I have sort of a weird brain structure. My wife always tells me I'm weird. She does. She says, you're, you're the weirdest. You know, I'm an odd duck. I'm the square peg in the round hole. No, really, really. And I am. And I, you know, 
And, it, and it's weird, but, you know, God always chooses the geeks, the losers. No, really, really. The round holes in the square pegs, the dudes that are just, you know, kind of not all clicking on all cylinders, serotonin not up where it's supposed to be, just kind of weirdos, you know. No, really, you, you show me somebody that's, that's mightily used by God, and I'll show you somebody marked that he's kind of quirky. I mean, just, just a little bit quirky. No, no, you got to understand. Oh, Brother Morgan, why don't I talk about you there? So. You've got to understand that the Bible says that Enoch was 65 years old. And then he had a son by the name of Methuselah. And right after he had the son, he began to walk with God. There was something about him having the son that caused him to change his whole lifestyle and begin to, are you hearing what I'm saying? And he marked himself. He is the only character in the Bible, he's the first character in the Bible that it states that he walked with God and he pleased God and he was not because God took him. And there was an indelible mark of God on his life that made him a little bit quirky. And everybody else in his generation. Friend, I, I'm trying to tell you, it's okay for us to be different. No, not going to help me preach. Ladies, it's okay for you to be different. Gentlemen, it's... Oh, you're not hearing what I'm preaching to you. We don't have to try to be like everybody else. We're marked by the power of the Holy Ghost. We have, you're not, oh God, are you hearing what I'm preaching to you today? It's okay to be a little bit weird. As a matter of fact, we're not weird. We are peculiar people, which means that we're unique, wonderfully and fearfully made. We don't have to be like any other people on the face of this earth. We have the power of God. We have the It's okay to be different. What is going on in the mind of Abraham is what I want to know. How is he processing the information that God has given him is what I want to know. How, what, what's his perception of what God wants him to do is what's in my mind. How, how does he negotiate through all the minutiae in his head? And what, I mean, when, when he knows who God is by now. Now, don't get me understand. Don't don't misunderstand me. Abraham is no stranger by this time to the weird things that God wants him to do. But now this is the this is the hardest and this is the weirdest. And now he's got to process in his mind exactly how this thing's going to play out. Are y'all hearing what I'm preaching yet? And so he goes, and then in verse five he says, now. He says, now I know we're a little bit distant, says we've got to go to that mountain. By this time, he knows which mountain it is. We're going to go over there, right up that mountain, right there. You see it? And they say, yeah, we said, but I want you to stay here. I'm telling you, there are some places that you can't take people with you. Y'all not going to hear what I'm preaching this morning, are you? There's some trials that you won't be able to take anybody through. It'll just be you and God. 
There's some valleys that you'll have to walk all by yourself. It'll just be, you're not hearing what I'm preaching. It'll just be you and God. You'll be sitting there wishing somebody call you on the cell phone, but they won't call because it's just you and the Holy Ghost. And God, you're not hearing what I'm preaching. There's some wildernesses, amen, that you'll not be able to have anybody encourage you. You're going to have to be like David and encourage yourself. God is not raising a weak back jelly need men. He's looking for some real men that said, God, I'll walk with you when it's at my benefit. I'll walk with you in strange places. I'll walk with you when it's comfortable. I'll walk with you when it's uncomfortable. I'll walk with you when I know, and I'll walk with you when I don't know. And he said, I want you boys to stay here. And I and the lad will go yonder to worship. Strange word he used there. First time it's ever used in the Bible. First time. I got Young's, Concordance, Strong, got them all. English. First time it's ever used. Why didn't he say, y'all stay here, we're going to sacrifice? Why did he use the word worship? Why did he say, man, y'all stay here because you really don't want to see what I'm about to do to this boy? Something happened in the mind of Abraham that changed his whole attitude about how he viewed what God wanted him to do. I'm seriously trying to get a hold of it. Because a lot of times, see, God has asked you and asked me to do things, and we see it as a sacrifice, an offering, that costs me something that I'm, even not, that I'm either not willing or not able to give or pay. I know you're really sanctified now. Can you sit there and tell me that God hasn't required some things of you that you thought you either did not want to do or that you were not capable to do or that you could not afford to do? And when we when these things come upon us, oh, I'm making this big sacrifice for the Lord. And what that leads to is an overall attitude of frustration. Poor me, and why is God picking on me? Why is God asking me what he's not asking of anybody else? What did I ever do to you, God? Why are you sending me here to this old nickel and dime town? There ain't nothing here. How come I got to go here? How come I can't start a church over there? Oh, come on and hear what I'm saying. Friend, let me tell you, we need to make one step beyond sacrifice into the arena of worship. Why? Because when you worship, it has something to do with what you love and not what your duty is. You're not hearing what I'm preaching. Oh, come on, hear what I'm preaching today. The majority of us today need to make the step from sacrifice to worship. We even view tithing as sacrifice. And it's not. It's part of your worship. Oh, it got, it got reapplied then, didn't it? See, we don't... Some of you are looking like mannequins and Macy's. 
Look at it like deer is caught in the headlight. Prayer is viewed as a sacrifice. I got to get up. Everything we do for God, we like to put it in the category of my sacrifice to God. Let me tell you something, sir. Why don't you just get off of it? You haven't sacrificed anything. Oh, I know I just made you mad, but it's okay. You'll get over it. You've been mad before. I had to leave my job. That's not a sacrifice. God's taking care of you. I had to leave my job, too. I was making more money than I ever made. And God says, come and do this. I said, oh, no. You don't pay good. At least I'm honest with him. You act like you're just so excited about the will of God. I said, I don't want to do that because that means I'm going to have to go and then pastors are going to pay me and they're cheap. Oh, am I making you mad? Good. At least I'm getting some kind of emotional response out of you. I work on a common job and make four or five hundred dollars a day and I come and preach for you. You give me a dollar, a hundred and fifty dollars. Why should I come preach for you? I should just go and do what I'm doing and make eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars a year. Matter of fact, I went back to my boss and said, man, if you come back right now, I got your license on there and I'll put you back. You'll be making four, forty dollars, forty dollars an hour and I'll give you ten thousand dollars sign on bonus. So I'm thinking like, why am I working for God? I'm working for this dude over here. I can buy a house, I can buy me a Lexus, I can just, you know, be living large, rolling hard, living large, kicking with my entourage, you know what I'm saying, dog? We got everything in the category of sacrifice. And we haven't sacrificed anything yet. It's our attitude. Because everything that God does for me and everything that God does for you, for him is not a sacrifice. It's under the partition of, I love you, that's why I'm doing this for you. And if we begin to reciprocate and move, oh, I'm preaching because I love it. I'm worshiping because I love it. I'm living for God because, oh, you're not hearing what I'm preaching to you now. I didn't say it always feels good. I didn't say it always looks good. But honey, I got a love in my heart for what I'm going to hear what I'm saying. My wife said, why do you preach so much? I said, because I'm, I love it. Why do we make one step beyond sacrifice into the category of whatever I do? It's my worship. Am I making sense? They asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, oh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and him only shall die. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus said. That's what Moses said. Jesus said, and him only shall thy worship. Moses said, serve. Jesus said, I don't want service. See, Moses said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. I said, him only shall thou serve. But when they asked Jesus, he said the same thing. But at the end, he said, but him only shall thou worship. Because you can serve him without loving him. 
You can serve him because you don't want to go to hell. You're not hearing what I'm preaching. You can serve him because you want his blessings and you want but you cannot worship him without falling in love. I don't know about you, friend, but I want to fall in love with Jesus all over again. So no matter what he asks of me, no matter what he wants me to do, I am doing it because I am in love with him. I hope I'm making sense. You said, oh, love, worship, service, it don't make a, it does make a difference. Let's look at Cain and Abel. What was really going on there? Cain was trying to serve and Abel was trying to worship. All right, I know I didn't go to Bible school, Brother Wayne, Jeffrey Wayne. I didn't go to Bible school. But I did go to school. I do have a degree. Cain was interested in service. Abel was interested in worship. That's why Abel gave God what he wanted. And Cain tried to give God what he wanted him to have. I can see y'all not going to help me. God, I know what you want, but take these vegetables. Now, I don't want vegetables. Well, this is my service. Cain was not an ignorant man. Do you understand? If you read on, you'll find that Cain married a wife and had children and built a city. He had the intellect and he had the wherewithal to understand all the complexities of building a city and the foundations of a, and, and, and what it took to supply for a whole multitude of families and people. He was not a dumb man, but he didn't understand the difference between service and worship. He is where some of you are. We cry and we bellyache, we moan and complain because you are in the category of service. You're frustrated and you're crying and you're murmuring and you're complaining. And God says all that to me is doubt, fear, and unbelief. Amen. But if you would make the shift over from the category of what I'm doing is service to what I am doing is part of my worship to God. Oh, God, have mercy. I hope I'm making sense to you today. I'm telling you, if you want revival, make the step from worship, from service to worship, from sacrifice to what I'm doing for God as a dimension and extension of my love for Him. My wife told me the other day, she said, I'm tired of you traveling. I said, no. I said, I know, honey. We need to hit the lottery or you need to pray that God gives us enough money so I don't have to travel as much. She goes, oh, you do it anyway because you love it. And you know what? It's true. I love to watch God do his thing. I'm like John. His commandments are not grievous to me. I don't always understand them. I mean, I, I, I'm not telling you I've got this. I mean, I'll bellyache and cry for two or three days. And then once God said, this is non-negotiable, might as well just get up and do what you're going to do. All right, let's get, let's get up and get on down the road with it then if it's non-negotiable. We usually put the things that we gave up in the world to come out of Egypt in this course in the category of sacrifice. Oh, look what I gave up. What did you give up? 
I gave up drugs. No, you didn't. You gave up death. You gave up addiction. You gave up your mind being eroded away and your liver being eaten up and your pancreas being destroyed. You're not hearing what I'm preaching yet. I didn't give up anything to serve God. I gained the whole... Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. It hasn't been a sacrifice for me. I wish I could tell you that. I've had the ride of my life. Has it been good? It's been good. Has it been always been co- No, I've had some challenges, some hills, some mountains, but it's been a ride. It's been great. It's been God has been good to me. I have no complaints for you today. I'm trying to make the shift. I'm trying to make the shift. Not only Cain and Abel, let's look, Saul and David. One service-minded, one worship-minded. Eli fell dead. The old, I think it was a messenger came. They were on the battlefield fighting the Am- was it the Amalekites? They were fighting somebody. And and one of his sons' wives was heavy with child. And and the messenger came and said, "Oh, your two sons are dead on the battlefield." And he said, okay. Then, then he said, and the ark of God has been taken. The old dude stiffened, fell back and broke his neck and died. And the ladies named her child Ichabod. For she said, the glory of the Lord hath departed. Can I, can I just preach for you a while? When we get in service-minded church, we can go through the emotions without the glory. We can have song service with no anointing. We can have preaching, oh God have mercy, with no conviction. Okay, I'm just going to have, I'm just going to preach. You sit there and look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I know I haven't been in the, haven't had the Holy Ghost for a long time. I've only been around for 25 years, but I'm telling you, we know good how to go through the motions. We know how to dress right. We know how to sing the right songs. We know how to push the right buttons. We got our little candy strict phrases. We know how to preach our little soliloquies. We know how to, you're not hearing, you're not, you can sit there and look at me like I'm crazy if I want to. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had the glory of the Lord come down to your sanctuary. Come on, we got PowerPoint and video and we got laptops and computers and PDAs, but all that junk ain't going to get the glory of God in your place. It's going to take more service. Somebody is going to have to worship if we want the glory. You want to know, I'll give you an outreach program. You want an outreach program, you just have the kind of glory of God come down to your church. Just one service. And they'll start saying, what was that cloud? What was that fire? Where was the smoke coming from? I'll tell you, it was coming from the... Fr- I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, friend. I was smoking dope and doing cocaine, and you the one came and got me. I wasn't looking for you. You the one told me about all this stuff. You told me that God was a healer. You told me about, oh, you know, I hear what I'm preaching. I sat there and saw the Shekinah glory come down. I see people crawl to the altar because they couldn't get up. And now you don't believe it? I still believe in the awesome power. I still believe in healing signs and wonders. It doesn't make any difference if you haven't seen it. It's still real. We have our well-crafted sermons, but friend, we need to revisit the glory of God again. We have our programs and our procedures and our policies and our doctrines and our dogmas and our creeds. Our bylaws and our trilaws. We got so many boards to govern so many things. We got resolutions. Where's the glory? Go ahead, stand there. I can feel your resistance, but honey, you don't scare me. I'm from the projects. I will run up on you real quick. Go ahead, you tell me. One website says when you don't have time to pray, here's a sermon. Hey Bo, what are you preaching? Oh, I do it too. I'm not I'm not I'm not knocking. First of here, God's beginning to deal with me like, where's the glory at? Remember we was talking about what marks us, what, what, what defines us, what delineates us, what makes us different? It's not your dress. That's a very small part of it. We major in that, but that's not where it really is. Is it important? Yes, but it's not the most important. What is supposed to define the apostolic movement is the glory of God. It's when they come in our services, they feel something they can't feel anyplace else. They can go to the charismatics, but they can't feel what they feel. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Because that cannot be duplicated. It cannot be imitated. It cannot be emulated. It can't be duplicated. Either it's the glory or it's not the glory. Either it's God or it ain't. You're not hearing what I'm preaching to you. But I'm telling you, friend, it is time we revisit the glory of God. Say, God, I need the glory. That's what's supposed to make us different. But if I look at you, I can't really tell the difference between you and some IBM manager or CEO. Unless there's something emanating from you. And I get close to you and say, Woo, dude, what, what is that? Listen, it is easy for our young ladies to be defined and delineated if they're dressing correctly. But what's going to make us dudes stand out?
What's going to make us do stand out? My wife stands out because she's there and she doesn't have any makeup, any jewelry, any pants, da da da. So she's she's already delineated. So what's going to cause me? Because see, the women are not in charge of the glory. There were no women toting the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, Lord, have mercy. See, the ladies ought to be helping me preach right about now. There was no women's prayer meeting. There was no ladies' auxiliary toting the Ark of the Covenant. It was supposed to be on the back of me. Oh, y'all not going to hear me preach that. So I'm telling you, it is time for the men to get up off your two-by-four and put your hands in the air and start walking. It is time for apostolic men to begin to dance before... Oh, yeah, all right, all right, all right. All right. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it. There he is dancing. And he's, he's dancing. He, he's gone, man. And he says, wait a minute. Hold my crown. Because I can't dance like I want to. Hold my crown. He starts dancing again. He said, wait a minute. Take this robe. Sometimes you got to strip down from your machoism. When was the last church service that the men began to worship before the Lord? When was the... That's why we're not seeing the glory. Because we got a bunch of women shouting and the men... Honey, you need to unfold your wings. Lift up your hands. I made up my mind. My wife will not out-worship me. My wife will not out-shout me. My wife will not out-pray me. My wife will not be more committed to God than I am. It's time for the glory to come back. I challenge you, some of you men, just for a minute, get out of your aisle, lift up your hands, and just start jumping up and down. Your wife wants to hear. It's time for the church to see the glory of God come and revisit us again. Bishop, when the glory is there, the miracles are there. The miracles are wrapped up in the glory of God. When the glory comes, the miracles come. When the glory comes, the healing comes. When the glory comes, the power comes. When the glory That's when the blind eyes are open. That's when the dead... Oh, no, I hear what I'm saying. Why? Because, he said, I'll share my word with you. Listen, I'll share my word with you. I'll share my anointing with you. I'll share my signs and my wonders and my angels, but my glory, my glory, I'm not going to, you're not hearing what I'm saying. My glory, I will not share. No flesh can glory in it. I'm trying to tell you, when the glory of God comes down, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about our programs, it's not about our procedures, it's not about our...
It ain't about who you are, who I am. It's about who He is. It's all about you, Jesus. Am I making sense? Davis, come skipping. Lift up your head, all your gates, and be you lifted up your everlasting door. Psalms 24, and the king of... Oh, okay, David, how do I get the king to come in? Enter into his gates with, and onto his courts with. Okay, David, how do I get the glory to come in? Lift up your heads, lift up your hands, lift up your voice, lift up your soul, lift up your spirit. Everything in this is about lifting up, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw. Come on, friend. He dances through the gate. I mean, he is boogieing. He is like, you know... Come on, boogie, 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 till you just can't boogie no more. And he is boogieing. I mean, he's got his iPod as a, as a hip-hop human. You don't stop for rocking to the bang, bang, boogie, the up, jump, the boogie, to the rhythm, of the boogie, the beat. And now what? He's just, he just jamming. He's just into it. And all of a sudden, off of her, off of her window that overlooked the courtyard, his wife sees. She don't hear the music. She can't smell the burning sacrifice. She don't know the glory is coming. You're not hearing what I'm preaching. All she sees is David out there just boogieing. You know what her problem was, Brother Elliot? It wasn't so much that she despised David. It was that she never saw her daddy do that. Hey, Dad, has your children ever seen you boogie-oogie-boogie boogie till you just can't boogie no more? You're not, okay, just standing like a mannequin in Walmart's royalty. I said, has your boy ever seen you lose yourself in the presence of, has your daughter ever seen you take off your manhood and take off everything that you think you are and just get lost? She never seen that. She never seen it. My daddy was a king, Brother Martin, Brother Buster. He never danced like that. He never, no, because Saul served. But David worshiped. Saul had a serving, sacrificial mind. And David said, I ain't going to offer nothing. It ain't going to cost me nothing. I'm going to worship. Don't matter what you think about me. Did you enjoy yourself? What you talking about, girl? Did you enjoy yourself? What you mean? I saw you dancing. He said, and? Your point is? Then I saw you with all the little hoochies out there. Did you feel good? He said, I know you ain't up on me like this. Because, see, Micah had never seen Saul on a bed. You see, 
You can praise God and still have problems. You can talk in tongues and still have hatred in your heart. Still have malice and envy and jealousy and strife. But worship is an abandonment of self. Worship is when I've got to let go of everything I am so I can be what he wants me to be. Worship is when I submit totally to the power. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm doing. Come on, come on now. Abraham said, I'm going to worship. I'm just about done. He said, did you enjoy yourself? She said, did you enjoy yourself out there? You know, hanging out with all the little hoochies, didn't you know? He said, did, did you see what was... He said, forget you. I'm out of here. You're on your own, girlfriend. The Bible said he never did go back. And from that day on, she was childish, unproductive. Why? Because she despised worship. Wait, 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 why? Because you can praise without worshiping. But you can't worship without praising. You can praise and never get intimate with God. Did you hear what I said? You can praise and never get intimate with God. But you can't worship God without intimacy. Listen, listen, that's where things are born, conceived, because the Bible said from that day on, she conceived not. Why? Because the king didn't know her. That's a word of intimacy. And when our churches are barren of the glory, the king cannot get intimate with the bride. Are you hearing what I'm preaching? I said, when there is not an atmosphere of praise and worship, it is time out for dead, dry, boring, traditional church as I've always done it. Because once the, once the king gets intimate with the bride, intimacy usually means conception. Conception means gestation. Gestation means travail. And when Zion travail, she will bring forth a son. And that son will be revival. But Brother Morgan, how can there be conception if we're not intimate with the king? And you cannot be intimate with the king, stiff, sterile. You see, we want this clean, sterile atmosphere. But if you're going to have revival in this dimension, in this generation, it's not going to be sterile, and it's definitely not going to be clean. What you going to do with Tahitia the crackhead? Oh, I know you don't even want Tanisha to come to your church. You're looking for a millionaire. Oh, you know you are. Come on, be, be honest with me. You don't want Tanisha the crackhead coming up in your church and got three kids and she don't know who either one of the daddies is. She don't have a car. Her rent ain't paid. You ain't about all of that. Oh, but we want evangelism to the black community. 
Get off of it. What are you going to do when they come to your church? Tell them to go to the black church across town? Oh, you see, I can see this. See, I can say this because I'm black. Just in case you ain't noticed. What you gonna get? What you gonna do with Tyrone? Tyrone got two girlfriends and he ain't married to the one he living with. He got five kids and ain't now one of them paying. You're not hearing what I'm saying? Oh, we want pretty revival. What you gonna do with Jimbo, the methamphetamine addict? Ain't got nail teeth in his head. Living on the streets under the. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we don't. No, we don't want that. Oh, we want revival, but we, no, you don't really want revival. What we want to do is we want to fish with the poles. See, God's made us fishers of men. We want to take our pole, put a bait on the end. We got one line, one hook. And if I want bass, there's a certain lure. If I want crappie, there's a certain bait. If I, I can systematically catch what I want to. I don't want nobody coming up in here that's going to really uh, upset my tide pairs. That's, you know, you know. It's awful quiet in here, ain't it? But see, Peter didn't have a fishing pole. He had a net. And as a matter of fact, he had more than one net, but he was kind of, his faith was kind of short, so he only chunked out one. The problem with net fishing is that you got to take everything and come in. God is awful quiet. Now, do you want revival or don't you? If you do, throw the net out. I said, throw the net out. Tell God my doors are open. Whosoever will, let them. Whosoever will, let them. Oh, you're not hearing me. Because when you throw the net out, there's going to be all kind of fishes in the net. Bring them in the boat. Take care of them. Love them. Let the gospel transform It ain't going to be pretty. I'm done. So I said, we're going to worship. Got to the top of the hill and start tying his son up. Cut up the wood. <laughs> Isaac got wise. He said, the first hint was, how come me and you, we're the only one up here? What's with the rope, Dad? Why are you putting the rope on me? Okay, okay. I can handle the rope and the wood, but what's with the big old knife? Abraham was determined. The will of God is not always comfortable, but it is always right. And he was so caught up in his worship, he was so caught up in the, in the attitude of worship that he, he walked right by the bush. You, you, okay, you didn't hear that, wait a minute. He walked right by the bush because the Bible said, and then he lifted up his eyes and saw behind him 
God had provided what he needed before he ever got there because he was caught up in the worship of the moment. Maybe God's not providing for you because you're so servant-oriented. Maybe you need to become a worshiper. Because the blind, the, 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 the Pharisees said, we know that God hears not a sinner's prayer. And the old blind man said, but him that is a worshiper, him, he, he will hear him. He might not, he might not hear somebody that's servant oriented, but if he's a worshiper, him will he hear. For God is a spirit and they that serve him. No, no, no. They that serve him. For this the Father seeketh. What are you looking for, Jesus? I'm not looking for a preacher. I'm not looking for an evangelist. I'm not I'm looking for true worshipers. Somebody that's made the step from sacrifice. To Jesus, everything I am, everything that I have, everything that I want, everything that I used to be, everything that what I want to be, it all belongs to you. And I lift my hands and give you worship right now. Albert, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody needs to make the transformation. I'm tired of being a server. I'm ready to become a worshiper. I'm tired of service.